Uh, I want to jump right in. There's no I in holy. The Yale theologian Richard Niebuhr captured the liberal perspective on what's happening today, and it really is even more than a liberal perspective. It's really what's happening in the church today. He said, we have a God without wrath who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That's what easy believism does. That's what just saying, well, we don't want to offend anybody by what we say or what we stand for. That's where it leads to because the call of Scripture is offensive. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. It divides because it requires us to make choices. It requires us to make adjustments that on our own we would never choose to make. And I'm afraid that we lack holiness in the church today because we have churches full of idolatry. Oh, we don't call it idolatry. We don't have uh, wooden statues and bronze statues and, uh, around our churches, but we have an, an, an idolatry of loving something or someone more than we love Christ. And when we love something or someone more than we love Christ, then we have violated that first commandment. You have no other gods before me. God is not trying to be in first place in our lives. Because if he's in first, there's something in second pushing, trying to get to be number one in our lives. What Christ wants is to be Lord with no rivals. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for lordship with no rivals. And if we're not careful, we get squeezed into the way this world thinks and we begin to be obsessed with our own concerns and our own issues and our own stuff and we begin to be drowned out in the waters of indifference. Erwin Lutzer put it this way, in the face of moral perversion, political corruption, and purely secular attitudes, the voice of the church is lost or at least muffled. Where's the church in today's climate? It does not have a voice if it is not ringing true with the voice of our master. If it is not in tune with his call to holiness, to be like him, to be holy as he is holy. And so let's jump in, and I want to ask you to turn to uh, Jeremiah 23, and then we're going to look at Exodus 19, and then we're going to go to Psalms. The first thing we're going to look at is a me-centered faith will reject a holy God. Now, we're going to run with this thought for a while tonight. But a me-centered faith will reject a holy God. Jeremiah 23, 23. Warren Wiersbe, in writing about Jeremiah 23, 23, said, Because they listened to the false prophets, the people believed lies about God. And what we believe about God determines how we live. Jeremiah 23, 3. Am I only a God nearby? 
declares the Lord, and not a God far away. Here's what a watered-down gospel or a false gospel will do. It will make God our buddy. And God is nearby, and we're going to talk about this more in just a minute. But he is also a transcendent God, a holy God, an omnipotent God, who we approach boldly the throne of grace, but we better remember who we're approaching when we go there. You know, he's not, we're not a member of his booster club. We're not a member of his fan page on Facebook. He is a holy God who is near and yet beyond. And it is hard for us to comprehend the beyondness of God because we get so wanting the intimacy with God that we forget that God has allowed us to be intimate with one who knows no sin. And his own son had to become sin for us. There's a lot of talk about spirituality today, and spirituality is in everything. You know, you hear golfers, you know, I mean, I heard Tom Watson at the British Open, you know, it's just kind of a spiritual thing. The British Open is not a spiritual thing. I'm sorry, Tom, like you, you're a nice guy, you got the yips when you putt, but golf is not a spiritual thing. It can be a very unspiritual thing. Just watch Tiger Woods' lips when he hits a bad shot. His Buddhism is not kicking in in that moment. We've got angel calendars and incense and, you know, people saying that their diet books have spiritual ramifications. You know, I just want to just go, please. <laughs> Much of what we talk about is spirituality in our country is a false spirituality that does not require us to change who we are or how we act. And that's not spirituality. Duke professor William Willman, who is a self-proclaimed liberal, says even evangelicals sound like liberals today. And when I read this quote, and it's going to come up on the IMAG, when I read this quote, you're going to think, man, this, this liberal has been watching a lot of Sunday morning television. The psychology of the gospel reducing salvation to self-esteem, sin to maladjustment, church to group therapy, and Jesus to dear Abby is the chief means of perverting the biblical text. It is the sin of Adam and Eve that although they had perfect fellowship with God and walked unhindered in their relationship with God, they developed the idea we can be like God. We can live on our terms and know what we want to know and do what we want to do. And, and so a me-centered faith will reject a holy God. Not only that, a God-centered faith will embrace the otherness of God. Now I want you to turn to Exodus 19. The otherness of God. This is an old term that the old preachers used to use of another generation, and we've kind of lost the otherness of God, but I like the phrase. The otherness of God. Because we're under grace doesn't mean that we, we can be soft about the things that God is specific about. 
Now remember, we're reading the Old Testament, but I want to make some, some application here. Exodus 19:21. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people, so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. Also, you let the priest who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, set themselves apart, sanctify themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set boundaries about the mountain and consecrate it. Here's what God was doing. God was teaching Moses to teach his people that there is a difference between God and man. There's an otherness of God. There's a difference between him and between us. We cannot assume and presume that we can just flounder around in the presence of God. In fact, that was a sin of Aaron's sons in Leviticus 10, and God killed them. Why do you think when those men touched the ark, struck dead? God was trying to teach his people a lesson. I'm not like other so-called gods. You cannot just throw me around as you please. I'm just not a blanket to lean on. And God has set up boundaries for a reason. In the Old Testament, worship emphasized man's sinfulness and God's otherness. And, and just kind of walk through this with me. There was the fence around the tabernacle. You just come so far. Then there's a fence. You just couldn't just walk into the tabernacle. Hey, let's go check out and see what's going on in the tabernacle. Not only was there a fence around the tabernacle, there was a veil before the Holy of Holies. Not only a fence around the tabernacle and a veil around the Holy of Holies, but only the priest could minister in the tabernacle. And not only that the priest could minister in the tabernacle, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies once a year, and they had to tie a rope to him in case he had any unconfessed sin so they could drag him out. How, did you, how would you like to say, okay, the Lord says to you, today you get to be the high priest. Uh, make sure you're right before you walk in there. I tell you, you would confess things you hadn't done. Because you knew to walk in there and have unconfessed sin in your life would meant that God would have killed you right there. Now, the New Testament emphasizes Emmanuel, God with us. And we're told in Hebrews to draw near. But it doesn't mean that God is our fishing buddy. It doesn't mean that God's our, our big buddy. We are not his equal. And when I... Am singing, I try to remember who I'm singing to. I'm not singing to be heard by my wife or by the people around me. I'm not singing because I just like a song. I need to remember that when I am singing those words, I am saying something into the ear of a holy God. Amen. And sometimes I have to stop singing. Because when I look at the words, I may not mean it at that moment. Just as bad to sing a lie as it is to tell one. And so, Psalm 24. 
Psalm 24. And we're going to kind of park here for a while, and I'll, I'll read a couple other references, but Psalm 24 and verse 3. By the way, I'm not telling you not to sing. I'm just telling you to be ready to sing when you come in. Does that make sense? I mean, if we've gotten ready, but see, see, we ought to be ready for church before we get to church so that in church we don't have to get ready for church. You know, our worship would be a lot better if we were ready before we got here than after we got here. We would enjoy it more. We would participate more. We would sing better. We'd listen better uh, if we came ready for God to speak to us. Acts 24 and verse 3, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. So this is God's call to worship. And his call to worship demands a serious self-evaluation. And, and so what he does is the question of verse 3 is answered in verse 4. Clean hands and pure heart are not optional, he says. If you want to come into the presence of God, if you want to ascend to the holy hill, if you want to be in that relationship with God that is pure and undefiled, then you've got to have clean hands and a pure heart. Just write down in the margins of Psalm 24, Isaiah 59 and verse 1. Verses, actually, verses 1 through 3. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. What psalmist is saying in Psalm 24, what Isaiah is saying in, in Isaiah 59, is you cannot separate the inward and the outward life. That they are tied together. That we are cut off. That we sense a removal of the awareness of the presence of God when there is defilement in our hands, on our lips, in our heart. That we have to come back to God. He says, he says, who can do it? Those with a pure heart. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. We want to see God work? We've got to be pure in heart. Clean hands. A person whose acts and actions are clean before God, not lifted up his soul to falsehood, nor sworn deceitfully. That has to do with our honesty and our integrity and the, the way we live, that our word is our bond. And, and we're, we're back to the old days when a handshake meant you were good for what you said. Amen. You don't have to get 28 lawyers involved in a thousand pieces of paper to see if somebody can trust you. You know, one of the greatest detriments to the Church of Jesus Christ is businessmen who call themselves Christian and don't act like Christians in their business. Who treat their employees wrong, who do shady deals, who have questionable practices. 
any Christian businessman that would say to somebody in their organization, now don't worry about the rules and don't worry about the law and don't worry about this or don't worry about that, needs to stop calling themselves a Christian because they're making it hard on those who are Christians. Look at what he says in Psalm 15. You can just turn a few pages to Psalm 15. Psalm 15 and verse 1. O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbors, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Now, let's look at Psalm 15, and let's just kind of scan through it for a minute. Verse 1, there's a question. Who? Who? Who, who can ascend to the hill of God? Verses 2 through 5 is the answer. The answer to who can ascend to the hill of God is those who walk in integrity. That's who we are and where we go. That's who we are and where we go. And then working righteousness, that has to do with what we do. Who we are, where we go, what we do, speaking the truth in his heart, that's how we think. Because what comes out of the, the lips is what's coming from the heart. That's how we think. He does not slander with his tongue. That's what we say. And he tells us to walk uprightly. That's a present tense. In your heart, be right in your walk, in your words. And then he mentions in whose eyes a reprobate is despised. He's talking about who we are with. Who we spend time with. Here's what that means. Literally... It means a worthless reprobate who despises spiritual things. A worthless reprobate who despises spiritual things. Paul said it this way, bad company corrupts good morals. We become like the people we spend time with. There are just certain people when I'm around them, they, they make me want to be more like Jesus. And then there are other people that I can be around that take me to the lowest level of thinking. And I need to be conscious about who I spend time with. You need to be conscious about who your kids spend time with. Because they become like the people they spend time with. You say, well, you know, they don't have good friends. Introduce them to some. You see, we've got a lot of reprobate thinking today, and it's not limited to the world. It sometimes finds itself inside the church. And then there's a promise in verse 5. Question in verse 1, the answers in verses 2 through 5, and then a promise. He will never be shaken. It's interesting, Benjamin Franklin, who was not a believer, called this psalm the gentleman's psalm. It's really the Christian psalm. It's how Christians are supposed to live in the world. In other words, holy yet human. How can I be holy 
and yet live in an unholy world. Psalm 15 tells us how to live and act, run our businesses, deal with our employees, live with our neighbors, build all our relationships around us. Psalm 15 tells us how we're supposed to act in our relationships to one another. And it's never wrong, folks, to do the right thing. Never. One last thing, pride and holiness are incompatible. Pride and holiness are incompatible. Vance Havner said, God grant us the beatitude of the background. Now, you need to write this one down. God grant us the beatitude of the background that only he may be seen. God grant us the beatitude of the background that only he may be seen. You know, we can be proud of a lot of things. We can be proud of our talents. We can be proud of how much scripture we know. We can be proud of how much time we spend in prayer. We can be proud of the jobs we have in the church. We can be proud of our college education. We can be proud of our stuff. We can be proud of our church. And God knows the proud from afar. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I love this quote by Richard Baxter. I'll pull a pen out for illustration purposes. Richard Baxter said, I was but a pen in God's hand, and what praise is due to a pen? Anybody ever looked at the Declaration of Independence and said, man, what kind of pen was that? You ever read your Bible and said, what, what a pen? You read it and say, what a God. That he could speak to common people. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they would write down his words. And those words could stand the test of any time. I, I, see, pride is diametrically opposed to everything that God is about. Pride is what made the devil the devil. And the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh are diametrically opposed. The fruit of the Spirit makes us humble because we realize it's God's Spirit that's producing that in us. Pride is the works of the flesh. Look what I did for God. Now, confession is good for the soul, but it's bad for the reputation. If you don't struggle with pride, you're not honest. I tell you, I can, I can walk in a bookstore and see the power of desperation, the power of persistence, and I can kind of go, man, I'm on the shelf. I'm in the back at the bottom, but I'm on the shelf. <laughs> I can go preach in some church and somebody walk up to me and say, boy, I tell you what, God really used you. 
And I have a choice in every one of those moments. I can die to it or I can feed off of it. And if I feed off of it, then I'm living for the flattery of men and the praise of men and not for the glory of God. Let me get a little closer. We can be proud of being Sherwood Baptist Church. Guys ride in on Harley motorcycles this morning and come to church all the way from Missouri. If you're not careful, you start thinking, wonder what other church people drive from so far to come visit. I bet there's no other church like us. And if we're not careful, God could put an invisible sign to us on our property that says, do not enter. Pride abounds. Well, have you heard about us? Wrong question. Have you heard about the Lord? Right question. Uh, It's easy, folks. When you've been blessed as much as we've been blessed to think that God's blessed us because we're better than anybody else. The reality is we're not. We're nothing but sorry, wretched, pathetic sinners saved by the grace of God. That's all we are. That's all we are. God could choose to use anybody else he wants to use. And we need to be honest. It is easy with all the blessings that we've seen for us to let a little bit of pride sneak in on us and to begin to justify it and say, well, I know we shouldn't, but, I mean, after all, God's done so many good things. And we need to take all that, and we need to kneel down at the feet of Jesus and practice now what we will do then. Lay all the crowns at his feet. Because nobody's going to be bragging on us in heaven. We're all going to be bragging on Jesus. So we ought to get in the habit of doing it now so that when nobody's bragging on us in heaven, we don't get our feelings hurt. Someone has said, pride is the package deal. Once you buy it, you get everything that comes with it. And the one thing that keeps me from getting on my high horse, and as Chuck Swindoll says, the only thing that belongs on pedestals are the bust of dead men in flowers. The one thing that keeps me off my high horse is I know I'm nothing but a sinner saved by grace. Listen, if you saw my English grammar grades, you would wonder why God would ever let me write a book.
if it wasn't for computers and Stephanie editing me, we would be in serious trouble. And when somebody comes up and brags about us, I try to be very conscious, very conscious to immediately turn that back to the Lord. Proverbs 16, 5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. I love the screw tape letters. I, I, it's almost impossible to find the set that I've got, but I've got it. And uh, I love to listen to it. The screw tape letters are one of the classic pieces of literature that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, but uh, I've got it on audio, and I had it on audio, and it just doesn't ring like I needed it to ring. And then I found out uh, from one of the folks at Lovell Fairchild who do help us with the movie stuff that John Cleese from Monty Python had recorded the screw tape letters. Now, you need the screw tape letters in an English accent because it was written by an Englishman. And so I said, oh, John Cleese. And John Cleese can get that cynical tone in his voice like Satan would have. And, and the screw tape letters are written by the senior demon screw tape to his nephew and protege, Wormwood. And he's trying to help his nephew and protege, who's just graduated from demon training school, learn how to deal with this Christian that he's been assigned to. And so this is what he says to him. I see only one thing to do at the moment. Your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to this fact? Catch him at a moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately, pride, pride at his own humility will appear. If he awakes to the danger and tries to smother his new form of pride, make him proud of his attempt. And so on through as many stages as you please. There's no I in holy. And there is a false humility and then there is real humility. And the only way I know to have real humility is to think of two thoughts by George Whitfield and by Augustine. Augustine said, for those who would learn God's ways, humility is first, humility is second, humility is third. George Whitfield said this. It's a classic quote. Let my name be forgotten. Let me be trodden under the feet of all men if Jesus may therefore be glorified. Let my name be forgotten if Jesus may therefore be glorified. Would you pray with me, please?
we've got some folks that are going to be presented, and I'm going to ask if you're to be presented tonight that you'll slip up to the side, to my left and to your right, and uh, meet John Spencer there. And uh, we want to present you in just a moment. Church family. Can we put the praise of men in a coffin tonight and bury it? Can we put our opinions of ourselves at the foot of the cross tonight? Can we die to that which feeds our ego and our flesh? Those compliments that we are too quick to embrace and chew on and meditate on and not quick enough to turn to the Father and say, Lord, if there's anything good in me, it's because of you. Can we understand that apart from him, we can do nothing? but that with Him we can do that which cannot be explained apart from Him. Can we tonight at the end of this series just simply say, Lord, I don't ever want it to be about me. I always want my life to be about You. Can we die tonight to flattery and to flattening? And seek only the approval of a heavenly Father? If God meets the humble in heart and the pure in heart. And if we're going to meet God this week and next week and refresh, then let's make sure that's where our hearts are. Because I don't want to miss Him. I don't want to miss anything He's got for me or for you. Lord Jesus, your word is filled with two pictures. A God who is high and lifted up, seated on the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And a God who loves sinners so much that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. A son who took on sin and died for our sin and paid the price and the penalty for our sin so that we could be set free from sin, from its power, 
Lord, in our desire to know you and to long for you and to develop an intimate relationship and a deeper relationship with you, help us to remember that the more we know you, the more we really realize how holy you are. And the closer we get, there's great joy, but there's also the awareness that there's so much further to go because we're all in process. So speak, Father, to our hearts this week as we prepare our hearts, as we come into this room to pray, as we go about our business this week. May we be witnesses for you without apology. Lord, use this congregation in a way that gives glory and honor to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.